Hey everyone, Farzim Vesugian here. I appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode. Uh, just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. So there are some technical issues on this episode. Uh, more from Zach's end of the recording. So you may hear him coming a little hot on the volume. I have adjusted that, but his audio quality not as good as it should be. So going to be a little bit different, but hey... Not the end of the world, we're working on that to make it better for the next episode, but just wanted to give you guys a heads up uh, with the quality and how this will sound on this episode. So again, appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the episode. Apologies in advance for the audio quality, we will work on that for the next episode. Until then, enjoy the episode. Welcome into the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesugian along with Zach Steginga. Hope you guys are having a great week as off-season practices starting to wind down. A lot going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of news involving Tyreek Hill. News involving Chris Jones not at mandatory minicamp. And Mitchell Schwartz gets a contract extension. And as always, we will do our closing segments. We'll go around the NFL out of bounds We'll throw off flags and give our hot takes for the week. A lot to get into here on this episode. You guys can interact with us on social media. I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. You can also follow Zach at ZStegenga on Twitter. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. And text us as well, 913-808-2119. It's the voicemail line and the text line, 913 808 2119. That is the voicemail and text line. Uh, no voicemails on this episode, but a lot of text. So we will get into your text messages as well. One of them is a hot take for this episode. So we will get to that as well. Greatly appreciate all of you guys who sent in your texts, and we will read them later on as the episode goes on. Zach is here with me here. Zach, how's your week going so far? It's going well, Fuzzy. Life is good. Did you get hit hit with that crazy rain on uh, on Wednesday afternoon? I mean, I watched it through the window of my work, and I was sitting there thinking, like, man, it's a really good thing I rolled my windows up. I uh, <laughs> It was pitch black for like five minutes, and the heavy rain came in, and then it just went away. The sun came out. It, I, I thought we were going to be in for like a long night. I thought, it was, you know, tornadoes were on the way. No. Uh I, I just imagine what how people react. I mean, even like for longtime Kansas, like you and I, we just see the weather and I mean, we complain about it. But imagine someone who has not lived here long enough only for a year and they see that kind of thing and they just don't know how to react to that kind of stuff. Yeah, honestly, I just you know, I, I, I had an actually similar experience when, when that tornado uh, came rolling through a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was actually at you know a family friend's house and they moved up here from Florida. So I mean, they knew hurricanes and stuff, but tornadoes were something totally different for them. So it was actually I did get to experience that vicariously a little bit, <laughs> um, just seeing how they reacted to things. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, you people survived hurricanes. I mean, check me if I'm wrong, but those are way worse. But I digress. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, people who live on the coast like that, maybe they have a case as to why hurricanes are worse. Maybe people here think tornadoes are worse. Uh, it's, it, I mean, they're all crazy nonetheless. Man, just um, the one thing I'll say for, you know, that they told me for the hurricanes is that pretty much, like, they know where those are going to go. 
and they get everybody the heck out. That's like, a valid you point. You just always evac, you know, and just being cautious, whereas tornadoes, like, you know, they don't give you nearly as much warning, and so they say that, you know, that's that part makes it a little bit worse, but I don't know. I mean, you can sign me up for a tornado over a hurricane most times simply because, like, just look at the radius that they hit, man. Just, you know, physics yeah, physics or something. That was insane, and that was in uh, South Lawrence a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, and uh, Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend, uh, Brittany Matthews, she posted something on her Instagram that Patrick is just studying his playbook while the tornadoes are all happening. That's my quarterback. Which, it, it, I mean, I'm sure he's probably thinking, man, let me just go outside and throw a pass on the tornado, see if I can throw it 80, 90, 100 yards or not. I mean, that's probably what's <laughs> going through his mind. That, I mean, if we're being honest, that's what's going through his mind. I mean, I'm sure he'll manage to throw a football 100 yards at some point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's pretty damn close. I don't want to tailwind, but I mean, details, right? I uh, I was going through, um, I told you this before, I was going through some of my VHS tapes, because I just mm-hmm. found them uh, a couple of months ago, and I thought, man, I need to go through these, see, you know, if there's anything important on these, any home videos, uh, things that, you know, my family's recorded over the years and I've kept with me, and so I, I don't even remember bringing them after I moved uh, a couple of years ago, but... I went through all these tapes, uh, and it's just insane. Like, you know, first of all, you had to set 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 it on your TV to where you had to make sure it would record at a certain time. But if a sporting event delayed it, then your recording, what was your DVR at the time, would not pick that up. Uh, and you had to basically press stop whenever you wanted to stop if you were at home. And if you weren't at home, you had to set it up. Everyone knows what I'm talking about if you lived during the VHS era. Uh, I mean, I, I came across all these like kids shows that my brother and I used to love and watch all the time. Uh, I, for whatever reason, recorded every single game of the Lakers uh, playoff games in 2004, which is funny looking back because Luke Walton was a was a player at the time and just got fired as the head coach of the Lakers. Shaq was still on the team. Kobe was still on the team. Uh, I also came across a couple of Chiefs games I recorded. I don't know if you remember these games, Zach, but in 2005, the season opener, that was the one my family and I attended. That was against the New York Jets. That was Herm Edwards last year with the uh, with the Jets. And that was also Dick Vermeule's last year with the Chiefs. And I also recorded a game in 2008. That was against the Broncos when the Chiefs snapped a 12-game losing streak. Do you remember either of those games? Not off the top of my head, no. The, uh, the Jets one, that was when Chad Pennington fumbled the football six times, which was insane. No one had ever seen that before. I remember the media loved... Uh, taking a shot at the Jets for that uh, because of that all week long. The uh, the Broncos one was in. I mean, that was the game where Larry Johnson, that was one of the very few games, good games he had in the tail end of his career. Uh, he went off on the Broncos in that game. Uh, Gonzalez, Tony Gonzalez was upset because he was two yards away from breaking the record for receiving yards in a career by a tight end, and he did not speak to the media afterwards. I, I was uh, there with the media. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he was not happy, which was odd. By the way, I don't know if you remember. I, I know I'm getting off topic here, but the following week on the road in Carolina, he broke the record, and then mm-hmm. there was a play. Damon Heward threw the football five or ten yards behind the line of scrimmage, and Gonzalez almost gave the record back to Shannon Sharp. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's not it's not like touchdowns that you can like give the record back, but if it's like yards, I mean, you can regress in yards. So uh, I don't think I've ever seen that before, but that almost happened with Gonzalez. But my point is, I mean, it's just so crazy knowing where we are now, watching movies digitally. I mean, I'm always renting movies digitally through iTunes or. Uh, 
Amazon Prime, whatever, or watching them if they're if they're uh, not on iTunes or any place. Maybe they're on Netflix or Hulu. Uh, I mean, times have really changed. Kind of gives me a greater appreciation of uh, how things have changed over the years. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know now here we are. They're changing again because uh, iTunes is going the way of the dinosaur, except it's not going to yield anything super cool. I mean, there's not going to be movies in the future of iTunes Park. Like, it's not going to be awesome that way. But, yeah, yep, it's dead. Yeah, uh, and actually, it's a great transition because a lot of people are probably wondering what is going to happen because I'm sure a lot of people heard iTunes is going away. Uh, what does that mean for the podcast? Uh, so... Most no, it's of you just guys on Apple Podcasts. Hooray! Yes, most of you guys are listening on an Apple device. So Apple users, uh, a lot of them are getting their songs through Apple Music. Therefore, that's a big reason why iTunes is ending. Many of you guys are listening through the, as Zach just mentioned, the Apple Podcasts app. Now, if you guys are listening on a Google device or whatever, you don't need to worry about this. But for a majority of you listening on Apple devices. Uh, I guess iTunes is going to be replaced with three apps, the Apple Music app, Apple TV, and the Podcast app. All three already exist in some form. Uh, there is an Apple TV app and a Podcast app. Uh, I don't think there is necessarily an Apple Music app it, for iPhone users. It's just a music app, and through there, that is how you can use Apple Music. Um, so that is what's happening there. But to, to give you guys an idea, if you're listening on your phone, your iPad, or your MacBooks... Uh, you can still listen through the podcast through the podcast app, uh, or if you would like to, uh, you can always change to Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean as well. So just to give you guys an idea, that is what is going on with that. Uh, with that said, I do want to get into a lot of Chiefs topics here. Uh, let's start with Tyreek Hill. I know there's a lot going on with Chris Jones right now not being at mandatory minicamp, and I think that's a very important thing to discuss and, uh, of course, Mitchell Schwartz got his extension. We need to address that as well. I want to start with this Tyreek Hill news. Uh, obviously, last week we learned about how uh, there was a report from Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City that they're investigating Crystal Espinal, Tyreek Hill's fiance, that she uh, she had uh, for, for possibly having Munchausen syndrome. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what the end game is going to be with that investigation there. But we learned earlier this week, uh, the same station, 810, and it's Kevin Keatsman. I know people have their opinions on KK, but uh, it seems like a lot of people are going with his report here. Uh, Neither Tyreek Hill or Crystal Espinal caused the injury of their son's arm from Sports Radio 810. And according to this report from 810, Crystal Espinal admits to trying to set up Tyreek and had a friend help spread that audio that we heard a, a couple of months ago or in late April, rather, uh, they used that audio to basically pin Tyreek Hill up against the wall in making it seem like he hurt his son's arm. Let me just say this, because, you know, look, I jumped to conclusions. I'm not going to shy from that. I've already addressed that. But so did a lot of people. Look, I, I don't think anyone should feel bad about it. What we heard in that audio didn't really, I mean, it, it just, it, I no one liked what they heard there. And some of the words that Tyreek Hill used, like, I get physical with, with him, with their son, uh, I mean, that, that only has one kind of meaning. And according to the attorney, when Tyreek Hill said that he gets physical, that means, you know, he, he and his son dress up as Spider-Man and Iron Man, and they jokingly, I mean, they, they hit each other by tagging each other. I mean, that. Which, in that case, that's not, quote-unquote, getting physical. That has a completely different meaning. Um, 
But the, the story has taken so many turns. But I do have to question how the media handled this story here, Zach. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to discuss here. A lot of people are criticizing uh, KCTV5 and Brooke Pryor of the Kansas City Star, as well as other star reporters who talked about this because they feel like they maybe jumped the gun. Here's my thing on this. I feel like they didn't do their due diligence on this. And here's where I'm getting at here. I learned this at a community college at Johnson County Community College, but you can learn this at any journalism school you go to, whether it's at the biggest journalism school out there, like a Mizzou or a Syracuse, or even if it's a a community college, or even a high school journalism instructor might emphasize this. But if you do hear a pretty... uh, If you get uh, some sort of tip from somebody, and... If it's a pretty extreme situation, such as potential child abuse, you need to verify that with another source. And again, in an extreme situation like this, multiple sources, you've got to go out there and say, hey, look, this is what I've been hearing from somebody. Somebody else approved of this as well. Can you please give us clarification on this? And I'm, I'm guessing what some of the media did is they got information from someone who said, hey, Tyreek Hill and his wife, or fiance, excuse me, uh, I mean, they are responsible for their child's arm. And I think they just went with it from one source and published it. They did not do their due diligence, my guess is, in trying to verify some of that. And I think that is why we got to where we are right now and everything in between with some of the confusion and the twists and turns that the story took in so many levels. Um I know a lot of people are also critical of Mike Florio. Uh, Sunday, he wrote an article saying that the NFL could still suspend Tyreek Hill without proof, and the league could suspend him with proof for violating the league's personal conduct policy because of his, quote, you should be terrified of me, too, comment. And look, that is a threat. That is something that he, you know, he should suffer the consequences for if the NFL believes that, that he should take a suspension from that. But, you know... Guys like Florio, uh, Dove Kleiman, who's been very critical of Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs, uh, Mike Freeman, who does not welcome any interaction whatsoever that would question his opinion on anything. They're going to twist the story as hard as they can and say, yep, the NFL suspended Tyreek Hill, therefore that's the proof that he broke his son's arm. And and look, I don't blame non-Chiefs fans for how they're viewing this story because the national media is not clarifying this. For their national audience. And a lot lot of people are saying it's because that's not going to generate clicks. I looked at Florio's uh, article. uh, One of his articles about Tyreek Hill. And I read the comment section. People are saying that the quote-unquote facts are that Tyreek Hill broke his son's arm. There are no facts that, that prove that right now. And again, I blame the national media for not necessarily emphasizing that maybe the way they should have. A lot of people are angry because... They And when I say people, I'm talking national media. I think they're angry because it looks like they're going to be wrong about all of their opinions and everything that they have said in the past couple of weeks about Tyreek Hill, and they just don't want to admit it right now. They don't want to emphasize the recent reports that continue to put Tyreek Hill in the clear, such as the text messages, Crystal Espinal being looked into uh, about the uh, Munchausen syndrome, the fact that now, I believe twice now, it has been said that Tyreek Hill will not be charged Uh, by the Johnson County DA, and therefore the national media not sharing those important details leads to a lot of non-Chiefs fans to believing, oh, Tyreek Hill did do something to his son. Now, I will say this about Florio, um, something that I do agree with what he had said. I listened to his podcast earlier this week to see if he had addressed this, and he did. Uh, I mean, he definitely addressed the uh, fan criticism from, from Chiefs fans. 
He says that Chiefs fans are only willing to go with any positive reports that come about Tyreek Hill. So, for example, anything negative that comes out about Tyreek Hill, the the comment that he made about his uh, or to his fiance during the recorded audio, a lot of Chiefs fans are saying, well, uh, she set her up. And I think, look, I get Chiefs fans when they say that. But then he said that Chiefs fans are quick to bring up that she's being investigated for Munchausen syndrome or that the text messages from the attorney's letter or the uh, fact that Tyreek Hill's uh, twice now been uh, reported that he will not be charged. And I think he has a valid point, but every sports fan is guilty of that. They hear a negative story about a player of theirs and they only want to emphasize the positive things that come out of their reports. And I think we can also make political comparisons as well with this kind of a thing. But, Zach, I think you get where I'm going at here. The confusion is the media had said all these things, and when Channel 5 reported that the investigation reopened, spoiler alert, it never did. Andy Reid took Channel 5's report uh, right before the Frank Clark press conference and said, hey, just an FYI, uh, we are aware that the investigation has reopened. And that was, what, roughly 24 hours after the audio came out. So... You know, my my point here is the media didn't do a good job of validating some of the information they've got from maybe a sole source. But on top of that, Zach, we think that teams know more than we do, fans in in the media, but they really don't. Andy Reid just went with a report that Channel 5 said and and that the case reopened when it never did. Uh, Having done student media at KU, Zach, I can assure you that there are a lot, and look, I get it, coaches cannot manage all of the players they have on, on their on their teams. It, it's just impossible, impossible with what they do off the court or off the field, but we do have this preconceived notion that we think they do know everything that goes on uh, with their players on and off the court or, or on and off the field, but they don't. Uh, in fact, and I don't want to get into the details as far as names and locations, you had mentioned to me, that uh, right after KU had this big come-from-behind win against Louisiana Tech, yes, it's a, I consider it big because it's any any KU comeback is considered Mind a big Mind you, that this is football we're talking here. That's yeah, why football. it's a big deal. Football. Um, KU had this uh, come-from-behind win. They had a 52-yard game-winning field goal as time expired in 2013. You told me about uh, how there was someone who you knew um, had witnessed some sort of a fight between one of the notable KU players at the time uh, and I guess a bartender or a bouncer, and, and a big fight broke out there. But KU football was unaware of that. Um, I mean, I think the media sometimes they maybe they do know a little bit more than than the teams, and that's fine. I, I think that's one thing we learned for sure. But even then, the, the media here with this Tyree Hill story, they did not do a good job of validating this. And I think this is proof that look, Andy Reid said that he the case reopened; it never did. This story has brought so much, so much confusion and a lot of critics for the local media here in Kansas City, for sure. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the the hard part about this particular situation is that realistically, there's a max of three people who know what actually took place here, unless someone can manage to get access to the security footage that might or might not exist from Tyreek's house. So, and I'm not advocating that anybody do that. That's not not the play here. My point is is that, you know, you've got a max of three people who actually know what happened, one of which is the three-year-old involved. So we could really cut that number down to two. And I guess the hard part, you know, to, I guess, play a devil's advocate here and kind of defend where the media was coming from a little bit, I can understand where there, if there's not sources to corroborate with, 
I think you, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that you find a way to corroborate your story before you run with it, but I can also sort of understand why they ran with it, uh, simply because there's you know, not a real way to corroborate it if there's only a handful of people involved. Not saying that that's right, but I think it does explain it to a level. Could it have been done better? I think absolutely it could. Now, to the uh, you know coaches knowing more about things than they let on or vice versa, I think that it ultimately diverges where, I mean, for college coaches specifically, college football in this particular case, I think that, you know, between the end of game on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, depending on where you go to school, for us at KU, it's a lot of 11 o'clock starts, so yep. <laughs> pretty much, you know, from about 2.30 on uh, until, you know, they have to report for practice Sunday morning, like, I feel like if I was a college coach, that would be the time where I would be the most on edge, uh, even more so than a game, because you've got, you know, 50 some odd guys out there you know most likely going out on the town in some capacity and look college kids do stupid things they just do i know i did when i was in college certainly not you know any legal trouble but you know stuff happens yeah and so i feel like you know with the coaches you can only control so much and i know that they i mean i'm sure that if something took place you know saturday night they aren't probably going to find out about it until sunday morning is a terribly general rule so if the media finds out and scoops them in that interim period like you know as a coach you're just kind of stuck there's not a lot you can do there i just hope everybody involved uh whether you know it's tyree kill and crystal espino and what they got themselves into with all of this and to be clear the the reports are coming up more and more that you know neither of them broke their son's arm the son's arm was apparently from some accident i mean kids kids break bones it, it, it happens sometimes so Nothing happened at this point. Um, and here we are, and Tyree Kill's name has really been dragged through the mud. I mean, this is a guy who obviously had a horrific incident in college. So I hope those guys learned their lesson. He and Crystal Espinal, I mean, they've got a lot to take care of uh, with as, as parents and for themselves, too. But uh, I hope the media learned their lesson as well because I feel like the media could have prevented all of this confusion and all the hate that they're getting. If they just maybe took the time and effort to validate some of these reports or inside information that they got from from multiple sources, that's a very important thing to do in journalism. Like I said, you are taught this in journalism school, but uh, certainly was not the case. By the way, while we're on the topic of KU, uh, do you remember Ben Heaney, the linebacker who ended up getting drafted by the Raiders? Yeah. So th- this is actually pretty funny. I still remember where I was. I was actually... Uh, I was coming home. I was. Um, I went back home for the holidays. Uh, my family, mm-hmm. family and I lived in Orwell Park, and then as the semester was getting ready to resume uh, for the spring, uh, I was moving myself back to where I lived in Lawrence. Uh, I get an email on my phone, and I'm one of the KU beat writers, so I need to quickly finish up what I'm doing, moving back in, and get to a laptop and, and write something. KU football sent out a press release saying... Uh, uh, KU coach Charlie Weiss is aware of the incident involving Ben Heaney. They are addressing it internally. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. uh, I immediately texted my editor, and I also looked on Twitter from all the other reporters who got that press release. Nobody had any idea what KU was talking about, which was funny. Uh, it was a report from the Lawrence Journal World. It was a news reporter. Not even the sports reporters from the LJ World knew about this uh, from their own colleague who wrote this, but... 
uh, he and he got into some sort of a fight at one of the local bars in Lawrence, and I guess only one reporter knew about the whole thing, wrote about it, and KU Football actually regretted sending that press release because they thought everybody in the media knew, which no one really did. So uh, I, I, I don't know if you recall that incident, Zach, but uh, I, don't. I, I, I mean, I chuckled quite a bit because uh, from uh, I, I went to class with a few people who were interns from KU Football's uh, PR department, and they said, man, uh, they regretted sending that email out because whenever the media does not know something, they prefer it to be that way. They always do, especially with negative stories like this. But Well, of course. I mean, we all know that you know, there's – I'm sure there are stories across – Every aspect of life, the media is not omniscient, nor should they be. Um, so, you know, they're going to miss things, and I certainly understand where you know KU would have. I'm sure in that case, prefer, you know, preferred to have kept it kept it completely quiet. But by the same token, I think that erring on the side of transparency always the better look, as opposed to looking like you're covering something up. I mean, look at the Chiefs with what happened with Kareem Hunt. Either they knew what really happened, or they didn't know. Either way, that's still a bad look on the Chiefs. And again, we think that teams know everything, but sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And uh, like I said, I just hope everybody in this whole Tyree Kill situation, I hope everybody has learned their lesson. I know I certainly I did. I, I think in extreme situations like this, you've got to be very careful and see both sides of the story, maybe wait for multiple reports or even visual evidence of this, the audio evidence. I mean, there were some scary things there that made it seem like he was guilty. And so, look, I don't feel terrible for having jumped the gun there. And I know a lot of people uh, were ready to let Tyreek Hill go at that time, but uh, you know, I guess uh, there's a reason why we wait things out. And uh, obviously, it looks like Tyreek Hill he should be returning the football soon. There was no clear word if he's going to be back in time to be with the team for the end of these off-season practices, or if he'll be there at the beginning of training camp. But that is one of those things that we'll just have to wait and see. But one player for the Chiefs received an extension. One is looking for one. Uh, let's start with Mitchell Schwartz, because he received a one-year extension uh, worth $11.25 million. He was already under contract for this season, 2019 and 2020. So this keeps him in Kansas City through 2021 also makes him the second highest paid right tackle in the NFL behind Trent Brown of the Oakland Raiders. He was with the 49ers and won a Super Bowl last year with the Patriots and now is with the Raiders. But Mitchell Schwartz, he won the Pro Football Focus Offensive Lineman of the Year award, was a Pro Bowl snub, but look, I can't fault NFL fans when they vote for offensive linemen because let's be honest, most fans honestly don't know who to vote for when it comes to best offensive linemen. They either vote for offensive linemen from their own team or uh, the offensive linemen who are playing for the best teams. And I guess for the Chiefs standpoint, most fans picked Eric Fisher over Schwartz because as far as name recognition goes, Eric Fisher was a number one overall pick, and that's probably why he got the Pro Bowl bid over Mitchell Schwartz. But not even people in the media are aware as to which offensive linemen are Pro Bowl or All Pro worthy, but obviously teams do. Uh, coaches know this, uh, GMs know this, and that's why we have uh, this contract extension for Mitchell Schwartz. And this is also why we have media outlets like Pro Football Focus or scouts that do analyze these kinds of positions very closely. But nonetheless, Mitchell Schwartz, he is now wrapped up through 2021 for the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, I, I, ever since uh, that elite offensive line with 
Brian Waters, uh, Willie Rofe, Will Shields, Casey Wegman, Wellborn. Uh, ever since we've moved on from those guys, Kansas City's offensive line hasn't been as dominant. It's hard to live up to that kind of an offensive line, but this is one of those offensive linemen you want to keep, especially when you've got Patrick Mahomes hopefully here for a very long time. Absolutely, and I think that it bears mentioning that you know you said that it was you know this makes Mitchell Schwartz now the second highest paid right tackle in the NFL, and he's behind Trent Brown, who was the left tackle last year for the Patriots. It just so happens that the Raiders are choosing to keep their first round pick from a year ago at the left tackle spot and you know their high dollar free agent Trent Brown they're letting play right tackle instead so really like you could make the argument that it makes him the highest paid true right tackle in the NFL but I digress I mean the guy has been an absolute stud even when he was in Cleveland like when we were signing him you know when what was it three years ago that we signed him um anyway regardless Whenever we signed him, he was already one of the best in the league at what he does, and he has just been able to maintain that. And I know that you know Von Miller and many others have gone on the record of saying that you know Mitchell Schwartz is one of the people they least prefer to go up against because he's good at stopping them. Uh, and you know he's very. I mean, offensive line is one of those positions, and I know I played it. You know, you don't really get the recognition when you do your job super well. You only get the reprimands whenever you screw up. Yeah, and exactly. And as NFL fans, like, I know I fall into this, too. Uh, you know, I'll harp on Eric Fisher a lot because it always seems like he messes up in key moments with a holding penalty or, you know, missing a block or something. Like, there's always something. And it's really easy to weight that very small handful of mistakes against the massive body of work of being an incredibly successful lineman. But Mitchell Schwartz has been even better than that, really. Like, I mean, you know, he is incredibly consistent. You know, he's, knock on wood, always been healthy. I mean, the Chiefs are very lucky to have him, and I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is very grateful that we've extended him. And speaking of Patrick Mahomes, if you want to look at some of the players who are under contract through 2021, this is according to Over the Cap. I'm just going by position here. Uh, Mahomes is one of those players. Uh, Damian Williams, Daryl Williams, Sammy Watkins, Byron Pringle under contract through 2021. Now Mitchell Schwartz is part of that. Uh, Cameron Irving, Austin Reeder. Looking at the other side of the football, Tano Passanio, Ben Neiman, uh, Damian Wilson, Charvarius Ward, Dan Sorensen, and punter Dustin Colquitt all under contract through 2021. Also, all of our draft picks from last year. Yes. That's important to note. That is uh, a keynote as well. I was looking at over the cap, and the player who is, who currently is under contract the longest is Frank Clark. That is through 2023, and obviously the Chiefs mm-hmm. just acquired him. Uh, speaking of Frank Clark, uh, and I think this is a good uh, transition right now, let's talk about the Chris Jones uh, situation right now and why I'm choosing to include Frank Clark in this. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, I Here's my thing, Zach. If you just told me Chris Jones not being at mandatory minicamp was going to happen, I was going to say, okay, look, not a big deal. He's probably avoiding that because he wants to avoid injury. You get injured, you're not getting that big payday. That's all I I was really going to say about this, and I was ready to move on. But, spoiler alert, that's uh, not the case. So, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, the Chiefs are not willing to negotiate with Chris Jones until he shows up to camp obviously you look at Mitchell Schwartz uh we had not really heard a lot about him possibly getting an extension and he got one from the Kansas City Chiefs he's obviously there at mandatory minicamp and he got his deal Chris Jones isn't uh let me just say this um Brad on Facebook wrote quote we pay Clark but we won't pay our own guy Zach when the trade broke it was announced shortly after that trade with Frank Clark 
that the Chiefs signed him to a five-year deal worth $105 million. And I immediately tweeted, and I said, whoa, that was really quick. And I got a lot of responses of people saying, well, they gave up a first-round pick. That's a big investment. What do you expect? Okay, I get that. But the first thing that came to my mind was, wait a minute, the Chiefs traded for this guy and immediately extended him way before Chris Jones. I'm curious, Zach. You know, Chris Jones not getting his extension and not being at mandatory minicamp right now, I'm wondering if part of it has to do with the frustration that another defensive lineman came in and already got an extension before he did. Because I think that's part of his frustration right now. I think so. And I think that ultimately it does come down to this. I mean, the not showing up for things is well documented throughout the NFL as a way to kind of get your way in some ways. I mean, yeah, I'm not advocating to do what Le'Veon Bell did and sit out an entire year, but that is I mean, ultimately the only recourse a player has if they're not happy with their deal. Now, do I think that Chris Jones ultimately will be signed and play for the Chiefs not only this year, but for many years to come? Yes, I do. But I really can't fault the guy for sitting out OTAs and minicamps and stuff for... I mean, like you mentioned, you know, if you were to get hurt in that sort of situation, it's not like the Chiefs are going to be like, oh, man, well, we know you were there, but you were were being part of the team. We're going to just go ahead and compensate you as if you hadn't gotten hurt. Like, no NFL team ever does that, Chiefs included. And so I understand where Chris Jones is coming from. I also understand that the Chiefs are probably trying to get, you know, the most out of Chris Jones' current deal because, I mean, he is still under contract for this year. Uh, and at a very, you know, very reasonable rate compared to what he's likely to be making uh, here in the near future. But ultimately, my concern is this. I remember growing up, you know, Tony Gonzalez was my favorite player. So there's some of that coloring my view here, but I just remember that the negotiations to extend Tony Gonzalez with Carl Peterson got to a point where, you know, Tony was not only, you know, just sick of everything with Carl, but kind of sick of Kansas City by extension. And the last thing I want to see is a fan favorite and a great young player like Chris Jones have a similar experience negotiating with the Chiefs because ultimately we all want him here. Uh, I think he's been a great member of our team and he's certainly incredibly talented on the field. I think that ultimately we need to pay the guy. It's that simple. And I think it'd be a shame for us to run him off the way that we did, say, D Ford or something like that. Look at Frank Clark's deal. Five years, $105 million. I know he plays a different position uh, than, than Frank Clark does, but at the same time, it's still the defensive line spot, and I think he'll, he'll want to use that as leverage and say, hey, look, I've been on this team longer. I've done more for the team. I deserve a little bit more. And again, we got to keep in mind, we don't know exactly how negotiations are going. We don't know what numbers are being thrown out there from each side. Uh, but i got to be honest, Zach, I'm a little skeptical right now because – Again, you know, looking from Chris Jones' point of view, he sees that someone else who just joined the team got an extension at the defensive line spot. His teammates, D. Ford and Justin Houston, who worked with him quite a lot up front on the defensive line, they're no longer on the team. I, I, I've got to be honest, I'm kind of questioning as to whether or not he'll be there at training camp. Do you think on day one of training camp, Chris Jones is there? If he's signed, yes. If he's not, no. Which I know is the ultimate cop out, but I think they no, did I, I, sign I, before I agree then. with you. I mean, I'm just you know, as I'm looking though at some of these, uh, you know, some of these deals for, you know, let's say that Chris Jones is going to go in and be an interior defensive lineman, right? Uh, you know, top five straight out of the gate. You've got Aaron Donald, obviously. You know, Chris Jones is not Aaron Donald, nor is he going to be Aaron Donald. So 
that doesn't totally apply. I don't think he's Fletcher Cox either. Kawan Short and Geno Atkins, I think now we're getting more into the right range. Um, and then Jarrell Casey is shortly there behind. But all those guys that I just mentioned, Kawan Short, Geno Atkins, Jarrell Casey, uh, they're making you know between 15 and $16 million a year um, with varying love guaranteed money. But I think that for for Chris Jones to get the Frank Clark deal, I don't think it's really that out of the question, uh, with the only concern being, you know, how much is guaranteed versus not. Um, now I'd have to let me quick math out, you know, what that is on an annual basis for Frank Clark and I'm not sure how well we'll be able to uh you know absorb that moving forward, but ultimately I think that that is the sort of deal that Chris Jones kinda deserves. I mean he's you know, an incredibly disruptive interior force, and, you know, every team wants that kind of guy on their team. I think one thing we've got to consider here, look, you got to make sure you have enough money to extend Patrick Mahomes, probably Tyreek Hill, assuming that his name continues to stay in the clear. If, if he did nothing wrong, then, yeah, you want to keep this guy in, on your team for a very, very, very long time because he definitely does a great job expanding the offense, and he helped out Patrick Mahomes quite a lot, and that's why the offense did so great last season uh so you know sometimes you got to pick and choose your battles in a perfect world yeah you'd love to pay everyone whatever they're asking and keep them but that's just not the reality in the nfl so it's going to be interesting to see how they do with that moving forward i think now this is a great transition to uh go to some of our text messages that we got uh lots of text messages by the way i appreciate those who sent your texts in we're going to read all of them and again you guys are more than welcome to join in on this no phone calls but, uh, again, leave a voicemail or give us a text message. Uh, again, that number is 913-808-2119. Let's go to – a couple of you guys did not leave your names, by the way. So, please, let us know um, your name and uh, where you are calling or texting from. This one's from the 580. Zach, do you know where the 580 is off the top of your head? I do not. Okay, well, that's okay. Uh, not not pertinent. I mean, I can look, but uh, – Yeah, let me know. If you can, uh, let's see uh, – if we can find that, but uh, the 580 asks, would you trade Jalen Ramsey for Chris Jones straight up? I love Chris Jones, but I think we are deep on the line, and Ramsey would shore up our cornerback spot. You know, I think if you lose Chris Jones, I think the defensive line position does take a bit of a step back. I know what he's talking about there with with the depth, but I think losing Chris Jones, uh, it definitely changes how you see the depth on this team. And let me say one other thing, too. If you've got a good pass rush, it helps mediocre cornerbacks if you've got great cornerbacks but and I know you still have Frank Clark but you're going to need more than Frank Clark if you don't have a great pass rush up front it's going to be very hard even for some of the best cornerbacks to excel in the NFL so I'd rather have a good pass rush a great pass rush than great cornerbacks uh I know Kansas City doesn't have the greatest set of cornerbacks right now but I think what they have right now uh, under under this new defense, a new defensive coordinator, and with what you have in Frank Clark and Chris Jones, I think you'll be just fine. And I think given what you have on offense, it'll be enough to get through, should help you get to a Super Bowl this year. Uh, Zach, what do you say about that? I mean, I, so you have to factor in, I really like Chris Jones. He's one of my you know absolute you know, top three favorite players on the Chiefs uh, right after Mahomes and Kelsey. Um, but honestly, he might even be ahead of Kelsey just because I like pass rushers. I, you know, that's a position I played, so I have a soft spot for it. That said, I, I think that I would trade him straight up. I mean, assuming that we could sign them both to 
you know, position level, you know, reasonable deals. I think that you know, we've got better defensive linemen t- behind Chris Jones than we do corners behind, or the well that are currently playing in place of, say, a Jalen Ramsey. And so, to that end, I, I don't know. I really like Chris Jones and want to see him, you know, in a Chiefs uniform for his entire career, if possible. Certainly for the next, you know, four to five of his career, no doubt. But I mean, if that was a deal that was on the table, that'd be pretty tough to pass up. Also, fun fact: the five eight zero is most of the western part of Oklahoma. Okay. Like, if you were to divide Oklahoma into east and west, and then just carve out a little circle in the middle, uh, which is the four hundred five. Yeah, everything else is the five eighty. So there you go. If you uh, if you knew where the five eight zero was, uh, next text message is from the six six zero. I believe that's like northwestern Missouri. So just keep going north of Kansas City. Uh, that's where the six six zero is. Uh, and this person didn't leave a name either. Leave your name, that's guys. Correct. Uh, I you love the text. It. But uh, let us know what your name is. He says, Hi, Farzine, with three exclamation points in the wave emoji. Hello, back 660. Regarding Chris Jones, with Chris Jones not at minicamp due to contract negotiations, don't you think it's very important that he be present learning their new system to keep his value up in this new defense and work with his new coaches? Do you think he will show up now that the Chiefs say they won't negotiate until he shows up? Okay, those are two good questions. We'll answer those separately. The first one uh, that, that's actually a really great point. This is a new system we're talking about here. We didn't even address this topic yet. This is a new scheme under a new defensive coordinator. Now, look, what what is going to be the primary duty of a defensive tackle? The majority of the time, it's just going to be beat that offensive lineman and get to the quarterback or get to the ball carrier, whoever it is, a majority of the time. Uh, so I don't know if he's missing too much on that. Would you disagree with that? I mean... I think I would to a level simply because, and this is colored by the fact that I was just recently reading an article from The Athletic that interviewed Anthony Hitchens um, and su- who suggested that Steve Spagnuolo's defense is far simpler to grasp uh, and allows you to be a lot more reactionary than Bob Sutton's did. Uh, and if that's truly the case across the board for the defense, I know that there's also systems that, you know, you keep it really simple for the defensive line by making life difficult for the linebackers. So I recognize that there's, you know, there's nuance to this, but assuming that the defense is generally across the board a little bit simpler than Bob Sutton's, I don't think he's missing that much. I think that, you know, he, he's got the physical talents, and ultimately he's going to be asked to cover, you know, probably one gap in the defensive line and get to the quarterback. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's been doing that his entire career. So I'm not too worried about it. So the other question was uh, from this text message, uh, do you think he'll show up since the Chiefs are playing hardball back, saying they won't negotiate until he shows up? Okay, that's an interesting one. I don't know. We see this a lot, but at the end of the day, more times than not, we do see a deal come to place. I think the only time it's just been where neither side is willing to uh, give up, it was the Le'Veon Bell situation last year. Uh, look, is he going to show up on time? That's another question in and of itself. Uh, I still think Chris Jones will play in 2019. Look, these guys are making way too much money to forego an entire season like Le'Veon Bell just did. I don't think uh, that's going to happen. Um, that's pretty hard. I don't really know uh, the answer to that. I think uh, if Chris Jones does hold out, look, you got to set your egos aside and understand this guy doesn't want to practice and suffer an injury those things happen unfortunately 
and he wants to get paid before an injury takes place. So uh, I, I, I think uh, I think they'll still come to some sort of an agreement, even even if he's not at uh, mandatory minicamp or at a uh, training camp. I mean, ultimately at this point, it's just going to become a game of chicken, uh, where you know. But I think that both sides recognize that from a public perception perspective, it's much more advantageous for both sides to just get this done ahead of time. When contracts get done, it's good press. People automatically you know, get excited about talking about the contract. They don't really harp too long on all of the negotiations getting up to that point. Whereas, fast forward to minicamp, Chris Jones is still holding out for a deal. All of a sudden, now you have a distraction heading into what most Chiefs fans are anticipating could be a Super Bowl run. And so I think both parties, it's in their best interest to get it, you know, just out of, you know, get it done between now and minicamp, call it a day. It's not that hard. It's really not. I mean, I understand, you know, it's an incredibly emotional sort of situation, especially when you're dealing with, you know, from thinking from Chris Jones's perspective, especially here, like, he's coming into the prime earning potential, not only of his career, but his life. Yeah. He's going to fight for every dollar, and he should. Maybe that's just my personal philosophy. I know there are those who would disagree with me, but I'm always going to side with the player as a terribly general rule. And I know that, you know, essentially, like, you know, I'm going to side with the multimillionaire against the billionaires, if that makes sense, um, when it comes to the players versus the teams. And so... I understand where he's coming from. He's got to get his money. I think he will. I think ultimately the Chiefs will cave and they'll get a deal done that looks a little like the Frank Clark deal in terms of size and length. And, yeah, we'll move on and hopefully go win a Super Bowl. I think this is Brett Veach's first time dealing with a holdout. Uh, So this is, uh, you know, another uh, incident where he's going to be tested uh, closely and everyone's going to see, you know, how is he going to handle his first ever holdout. So... That'll be very interesting to uh, follow as this progresses. Jeremy from Kentucky, the 270, says, Hopefully Tyreek won't get more than a four-game suspension. I think Chris Jones is playing hardball, but ultimately will be signed. We addressed the Chris Jones topic, but going back to Tyreek Hill, uh, look, to be clear, if he does get suspended, it's probably for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy, not for maybe child abuse. At this point, it's now being said he won't be charged for it. Um, I know there are a couple of Chiefs fans who think he did it. Maybe some non-Chiefs fans who think he did it. Look, I mean, that's your opinion. You're allowed to have it. But it's been twice now that they have said that he will not be charged for child abuse and that there's no evidence of that. Um, But the comment that he made in that audio, uh, the terrified comment, yeah, I mean, that's a threat right there. I I know some Chiefs fans are saying, well, maybe it's not physical. I mean, come on. Let's not sugarcoat it here. Because if it was a Raiders player, we'd all be quick to judge and say that he should be suspended. Uh, look, I don't think... Not to mention uh, that he's saying this to a lady who he has previously choked and thrown down a flight of stairs. Yeah. yeah. Let's I, not gotta, forget that. I, I mean, I think it's important. Look, I know people don't like to bring up the past because it's the past, but that is a pretty significant part of this story right now. Um, In this case, it's, it's relevant past, you know, for sure. Very, very relevant. Uh, as far as the suspension for that comment... I was thinking about this earlier today. I was, I'm thinking two to four games. If it's eight games, boy, I'd be shocked. Uh, somebody, by the way, tweeted me, I can't remember who, and said that they think he'll appeal the suspension. The attorney in his letter addressed that comment and said, I'm not defending him on this, nor would he ask for me to defend him. So if the NFL says, hey, we're going to suspend you for this, I don't think Tyreek Hill is going to fight it because even the attorney was like, hey, uh, I'm putting my hands up here. I'm not saying a single thing 
to sugarcoat this. And obviously my uh, client will not want to do that either. Uh, if it's eight games, though, I think that might be a bit much for a comment. Uh, but I say it's going to be two to four games. I think ultimately it ends up at six games, and it'll be under the guise of the comment that was made. That's what they'll use as the official justification, but we can all admit that it's because of the entire circus that this has been, uh, as much as it is about the comment itself. And I think that you know it'll be six games, he'll serve it out the first six of the season, and move on. Let us know what's on your mind. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. 913-808-2119. We still have one more text to read. That is for our hot take of the week segment. So we will get to that a little bit later. But until now, we are going to go to our closing segments. Let's start by going around the NFL. The Oakland Raiders are going to be on HBO's Hard Knocks. It is now official. Uh, Very interesting choice. Antonio Brown, big character, and going to a new team, coming off some of the drama that he had, uh, that he was surrounded by in Pittsburgh. So it's going to be kind of an interesting storyline, see if they address that, and just seeing Antonio Brown's character. I'll say this too, John Gruden's return to the NFL is still in question right now, Uh, but as a former media analyst, let let me just say this, People in the industry love John Gruden. He's an easy guy to work with from what I've heard. And I think the guys who are responsible for the for the production of NFL Hard Knocks, they're going to enjoy seeing him on a daily basis. He, being that he used to be in the media, he's probably going to make it very easy for those guys. So I think that's another reason why they picked the Raiders for this. Uh, look, I, I know it's the Raiders, but either way, man, I'll still watch because it really is a great show. HBO and NFL Films, they do a great job with this. I'm still going to watch, even though it's the Raiders. Are you going to be watching, Zach? Absolutely. And the other storyline that I think people always miss, when they, you know, it's obviously first it's Antonio Brown and John Gruden. That's that's an obvious thing. But I think that a nuance to the Antonio Brown thing that people miss is the fact that you've got Antonio Brown on one side of the football and his nemesis Vontae's perfect on the other. That's going to be a fascinating dynamic to watch. And then you could throw Richie Incognito in the mix just to, you know, beat on somebody or something. Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, Regardless, I mean, I'll absolutely be watching just because, you know, I mean, some people like to watch the world burn. And in this case, you know, the Raiders certainly might do exactly that. (laughs) Not to mention this is going to be their last last offseason in Oakland. So that'll be an interesting storyline, too. Um, You know, it's one of those things that there's just a lot of chaos over there. And as a Chiefs fan... Yeah, I will absolutely sign up to watch Oakland in chaos. Sign me up anytime. Gerald McCoy, who recently released by Tampa Bay, now with Carolina, he spoke for the first time in a press conference and said uh, when Peyton Manning, of all people, was released by the Colts, he knew that any NFL player could go through the exact same thing. Uh, Also, he said that he has nothing bad to say about Tampa Bay. And look, that's how it should be. He obviously has a great mindset. It's so easy to get angry and frustrated over something like this and maybe say something negative to the media about your former team and that they screwed you over and whatnot. But look, uh, I think Gerald McCoy is a great example of how you should handle a release like that. Because let's be honest, Zach, at the end of the day, you never know. Maybe you end up going back to Tampa Bay or maybe not Tampa Bay, but maybe you reunite with the general manager or the coaching staff. That's there in Tampa Bay. Maybe you reunite with them elsewhere in the NFL. Never burn your bridges. I know it's so easy to get angry in these kinds of situations, but Gerald McCoy handling it perfectly because, again, you never know. 
uh, when opportunities can be hard to come by, maybe you do reunite with the uh, with the staff that you once worked with at one point. For sure, and I think that you know he, he handled it you know classy with the comments and stuff. But I guarantee you that he is gonna bury Jameis Winston the first time that the <laughs> Panthers go up against the Buccaneers. That's a good that's point. The other thing is, you know, of all the teams that he was looking at, he chose Carolina, and I know that they offered him the best deal, but. It couldn't have hurt the fact that he gets to stick it to his old team twice a year. The Houston Texans, uh, this is becoming a very interesting trend, by the way. Uh, they fired general manager Brian Gain after one season with the team. Uh, he was a former Chiefs practice squad player in 1997, so if you followed the Chiefs very closely back then, you probably do recognize that name, but was just on the practice squad. He was fired 17 months into his five-year extension uh, and we're starting to see this often uh, lately where a general manager is fired sometime during the spring or the summer. The Bills fired Doug Whaley right after the 2017 NFL draft looking back, passing up on Patrick Mahomes, trading the pick away to the Chiefs. Yeah, sure, that's probably a fireable offense now. Uh, the Chiefs fired John Dorsey in the summer of 2017. The Jets fired general manager Mike McGagnon uh, last month. I'm sure I screwed up the last name. And now the Texans have fired their general manager, uh, they are interested in Ray Farmer, formerly with the Chiefs, former HBO Hard Knock star. Uh, by the way, the Patriots are claiming the Texans have tampered in an attempt to get a front office member from the Pats. But uh, I digress. Uh, this is interesting because we're starting to see this more where general managers are starting to get fired at a very odd time after the draft. Uh, we generally see this kind of firing right after a regular season or right after a playoff game if they feel a general manager needs to go, but we're starting to see this more and more after the draft. I say, I think it's kind of strange, though. To be honest, if I was the new general manager coming in, frankly, I think that I'd prefer it to be brought in there as opposed to, you know, immediately after the regular season or something like that. Like, yes, it gives me a longer time to wait before I have to put my fingerprint on the organization by going through a draft or an off season. But by the same token, you also get a front row seat to the entire regular season, and you get to really do a meaningful evaluation of what you have as opposed to, you know, just a film study and a handful of interviews. Like, you really get to see these guys week in, week out, and I think that it certainly provides advantages to the general manager that's brought in. But I can't say that that makes it make any more sense from a timing perspective, certainly from yeah, the that's team very, side. That's very odd. Uh, I'm curious if that's a trend that continues throughout the NFL because uh, it is very odd to fire someone after a, right after a draft like they did with the Bills or uh, unless the owners were so high on Mahomes at the time or Watson, one of those two that the Bills passed up on. Um, but but we've seen this with other GMs as well. So yeah, that's something that... Thing, I mean, we knew why that took place. It was equal parts. He was up for a contract extension and he was looking to negotiate that or be let go. But he also just absolutely torched our cap situation for a while. So, oh no, I agree. It makes sense. I, but I, I just think the timing still. I mean, if that was an issue, these things could have been done sooner. Is what I'm saying. That's uh, fair. I, 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 we'll, we'll see if this continues to happen with other NFL teams because it's now happened twice this off season. Let's go out of bounds. Should Major League Baseball consider expanding the Nets 
to protect fans from foul balls and flying bats. A uh, very scary incident recently in Chicago involving a woman who was sitting behind the third base dugout suite, I believe, and was hit by a foul ball and blood pouring everywhere. Not good. Immediately taken to a hospital. Was released on Tuesday, which is good to hear. Uh, but these incidents have been happening a bit more the past couple of years than we have seen in years past. Again, it's uncommon, but still, one or two is too many, Zach. And I think it is time that we start doing something to prevent these kinds of things by expanding the nets. Uh, I, I guess the question is, how far should they go? Some people are complaining, look, it might ruin their viewing experience. I mean, come on. Look at all those people at Coffin Stadium who are paying for the the Crown Club or Diamond Club. They're sitting behind a net and they're having a good time there. Uh, I don't think a net is going to ruin anyone's viewing experience in person. I, I agree with you. That was absolutely the take that I had before I considered it from the perspective of there's only one reason to not have those nets in place. And it is one of the things that is one of the most uniquely awesome experiences about going to a baseball game. If there's a net there, you can't catch a foul ball anymore. No, that's not entirely true. It, it depends how high the, the the ball goes up. I mean, you've seen some people in the front row catch a, catch a foul ball. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it bounces back, too. Don't get me wrong. I think that, you know, especially, you know, for, the further down the line you go, the faster that ball is coming at you. And I know especially, you know, a couple, I think it was, Maybe two, three weeks ago, the issue that took place in Chicago where the Cubs player fouled one off and it hit a kid, um, which was just, I mean, you know, that it was, was pretty scary. absolutely terrible for the player, too, because, you know, it's never intentional. Like, that's, you know, it's just a terrible thing that happened there, and it's, you know, just a terrible accident, really. And so, do I think that ultimately they'll expand those nets out? Yeah, I do. Um, but I think that it will take a little bit away strictly from the you know perspective of being able to catch a foul ball um and so i mean it, it's baseball is always slow to mess with tradition this is probably one of those examples like the fact that we've gotten this far without extending those nets certainly has something to do with it or the tradition the respect for tradition is certainly a good reason as to why they haven't messed with it up to this point but i think that ultimately they will uh, expand those nets all the way from foul pole to foul pole the U.S. Women's National Team destroyed Thailand 13-0. to uh, Awesome game uh, for, for, for the U.S. Women's National Team, that is. Uh, World Cup qualifying game, too, worth noting. Listen, they've been so great. They've been so successful, the women's team. Uh, they won the World Cup in 2015, gold medal in 2012, getting revenge against Japan a year later after being second in the World Cup in 2011. Uh, but the women's players... They have a base salary of $72,000 supplemented by bonuses for winning games, but the men receive a, a per-game bonus of 5000 per game, whereas the women, their uh, per-game bonus is $1,350. The men's didn't even make it to the World Cup last year, couldn't even qualify. Um, I mean, that's... Uh, that in and of itself is ridiculous. By the way, to be clear, I got a mix-up there. The women's bonus per win is $1,350. The men's bonus per win is $3,166 per win. Uh, just to be clear on that, it's $5,000 per game, win or lose. The $3,166, that's an additional bonus for their wins. Uh, but they're not winning a whole lot, unlike the women's. And I get it. Look, man, sometimes... Uh, 
you got to go with, you know, what's getting the most coverage here. In this case, the men's team has more sponsorships. They have more coverage. They, 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 they just get more viewers than the women's team, unfortunately. And it's a shame that way. Um, though, if I remember right, I'm pretty sure there was a private company that stepped up to at least even the, uh, even the base salaries. Not that that should be a, the job of a private company, because it shouldn't. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that's an absolute shame. I mean, you know, but it's the same issue that you have with the NBA versus the WNBA, for example. One is very widely watched, the other is not. And does that make it right that the pay gaps are that way? It's hard to say. I mean, I can't come right out and say, like, nope, absolutely, like, you know, you should have you know, Candace Parker making LeBron James money, so to speak, because the revenue is just not there in that particular case. Now, from a FIFA perspective, this is an international thing. Um, you know, it's all... So, I mean, like, you, know, you can't... You wouldn't go in and mandate the salaries that anybody makes on the club teams. Uh, but given that this is a national organization, I don't see any reason why... You know, I mean, they are both similarly high-profile events. They really are, certainly, at least here in the U.S., uh, in terms of the way that people watch it. I mean, maybe they don't watch the Women's World Cup quite the same rate, but I know that you know, it's certainly easier to watch the Women's World Cup because you know we've got a team that's going to absolutely go out there and smoke people. And so I think that it'd be, you know, we should absolutely have that gap closed, certainly from a base perspective, and then you use the rest as you know, sponsorship revenue or something like that and make it very clear what's base, what's not. The Golden State Warriors came through big facing elimination, got a big win. Raptors still lead it 3-2. to two. Last chance to discuss this before it is all over. Real quick, Zach, can the Warriors pull it off without Kevin Durant, or are the Raptors going to win it all? The Raptors are going to win it all. I was I was going to... I was pull, I, I was predicting the Warriors, but, man, I just feel like the Raptors have too much momentum at this point. I mean, yeah. would you agree that, with, with that at this point? They have two tries to win one game. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. Now, look, any team in the NBA championship or in any championship that has the seven-game format... If you're down 3-1, look, you're in the championship game for a reason. So, uh, never doubt the Warriors, but no, I, I, I think the uh, the Raptors are going to pull it off. Especially since there's still another game in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. The Warriors aren't going into Toronto and winning. Let's go to our penalty flag segment. Keeping it NBA Finals, uh, the Raptors fans are getting a lot of grief because they were cheering for the Durant injury, and some of them are trying to sugarcoat it, saying, oh, they were applauding his efforts. Uh, come on. Uh, I, I've seen fans ap- uh, applaud the effort of a player who is from the opposing team and got injured. I know what that sounds like. The way they were cheering, that's not applauding someone's effort down during an injury and Golden State players were not happy about that at all uh does kind of remind me of the incident with Matt Castle I know different deal different sport in different situation it was a 2-14 and team but still uh it's just never one of those things that you ever want to see from sports fans so absolutely a bad look though I can understand where as a Raptors fan you see him go down and you start thinking to yourself we just won the title that's the only way to make that defensible. Not saying that that makes it right, because it doesn't. But that's the only explanation I can come up with on that. And look, let me just say this. You never apologize when 
when when when, a, when an opposing team is dealing with bad luck or player injuries, or if a player is just completely missing everything, a great player is missing everything, you take advantage of that, but certainly never celebrate that uh, at the very least. Not at all. Well said. Well said. Okay, I don't know how you say this guy's name. Uh, Augustin Alanis. Augustine Alanis. Okay. All right. Well, he has watched Avengers Endgame more than 100 times in theaters. Uh, Apparently, somebody last year watched Avengers Infinity War 103 times. And so, therefore, Augustine Alanis, whatever his name is, uh, he wanted to break that record. And this past Sunday... He saw Endgame for the 103rd time Sunday morning. Not only that, he watched Endgame five times on Sunday. So as of Sunday, he has seen the movie 107 times in theaters. And if you're wondering how is that real, is there proof of this? He takes a selfie with a uh, movie theater employee with the ticket every time he goes to see the movie. So he has done this 107 times as of Sunday. It's probably at 120 or 130 by now. I don't even know. You know, if this guy, why this guy has so much time on his hands to see a movie, a three-hour movie that long, I don't know. And look, I thought Endgame was a great movie. I loved it. But to see it that many times, it's like, how do you not get bored of that at this point? To give you an idea, uh, as of Sunday, he has watched the movie on average at least two and a half times a day. That's ridiculous. No, I also just did the math. I mean, assuming that movie tickets range between, you know, 8 and $12, the dude has invested well over $1,000 at this point into watching the that same is a lot of money. movie over and over. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've seen in a long time. I mean, look. Wrong. Great movie. Enjoyed it. I will never see a movie in my life more than 100 times. I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, there's maybe a handful. I mean, I watched Lion King and Tarzan a lot as a kid, so those might get close to that number, but to make a deliberate effort to watch a movie that many times, especially one that's like a three, what was it, three three hour and like eight minutes or something like that, I might have my numbers wrong, but that's a three hour movie, man, like, that's ridiculous, I mean... Good on you, because you've gotten some level of, you know, international acclaim. I guess here's your 15 minutes of fame for wasting who knows how many hours of your life. I'll do that math for a minute. But, like, yeah, <laughs> just ridiculous. I uh, I didn't do a lot of babysitting uh, over the years. Um, I did babysit the baby of a family friend of ours, and I'm sure I did this as a kid and didn't realize it, but he kept wanting to watch the same episode of Barney over and over and over again. I'm like, dude, do you, do you not want to watch something else? It's like... I mean, they're just talking about what to do when a fire happens, how to how to handle a fire drill. It's like, it's not, this is not that exciting. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, but look, no, I'm with you. I, I mean, I'll watch the movie again. I'll probably watch it a couple of more times. I've seen Infinity War a few times. It's an awesome movie. Endgame was an awesome movie. But, I mean, even a hundred times in your own home, it's like, the movie loses its luster at some point if you see it. Are you expecting, like, a different ending? Are you expecting for someone else to die? Spoiler alert, someone big does die in the movie, but, uh, I mean, come on. Uh, 107 uh, times, that's that's too many. Did you, do the, did you do the math on that? He has spent almost a total of two weeks, 13 days. Oh, my God. 13.375 is what I came out to, and I didn't even include the extra two. It's three hours and two minutes running time for those of you keeping score at home. I didn't factor that in initially, but if you take the 107 times that he's seen it, you know, times the three hours, you get to almost two weeks worth of time spent in that theater watching that movie. That's ridiculous. 
A Yankees minor league outfielder by the name of Matt Lipka, he was receiving death threats from minor league baseball fans because they exist out there. Uh, apparently, he broke a, quote, unwritten rule, which is a dumb rule, by the way. In the ninth inning, uh, Lipka laid down a bunt in which this team he was going up against, the Hartford Yard Goats, which is a tremendous name. Man, minor uh, league teams, like, brief aside here, minor league baseball teams have some of the most hilarious names ever. If you just go oh, no, they do. Google that, Wikipedia, just look at the you know massive list of teams. There's some gems in there. I'll let you find that on your own, though. The Goats are with the Colorado Rockies organization, but, uh, you know, Lipka laid down a bunt, and he broke the no-hitter. By the way, this was not like a one-pitcher no-hitter. This was like a collective group effort, multiple pitchers no-hitter. So it was 3 nothing. It's still, you know, a winnable game. So Lipka's got to do what he can. He breaks the no-hitter, gets on base, and benches clear because of this. Uh, by the way, Madison Bumgarner of the Giants, who people in Kansas City know about, of course, from the 2014 World Series, he got mad because uh, Max Muncy of the Dodgers, six pitches in, he hits a home run, and he was walking and watching the baseball. Bumgarner approached him and shouted at him and said, don't watch, uh, run. And it's like, who cares? You know, Do a better job of pitching to him. By the way, Muncy, after the game, said, uh, this is epic. If you don't want to watch me watch the ball, you can get it out of the ocean. I thought that was great. I, th- I would have been like, dude, just strike me out if you don't want me to watch the ball. Yeah, that's I a hate, great line. Man, I hate how in baseball people get angry. It's like I've heard people say, you know, when a pitcher doesn't get his perfect game, nine innings uh, and, you know, one third in, people are saying, well, give it to him, give it to him. No, you don't give it to him. You make him earn it. I don't understand why this is an unwritten thing in baseball. Baseball has so many unwritten rules, and I hate that. See, I I don't know. There are some of them that I would absolutely be willing to do without. But there's a so when it comes to the no hitter thing, if you know you're at nine and a third innings, right? That the pitcher's gotten through and he's on on track for a perfect game or a no hitter or something like that. No, you don't go up there and stop swinging. Like, you don't give it to him, but you also don't lay down a bunt to just deliberately, cheaply take it from him either. That's, you know, there's there's a spectrum there. So I totally understand why you clear the benches if it was a single pitcher, no hitter. Like, that's a huge deal for that pitcher. And, you know, to be a turd and just lay that bunt down, like, that's, yeah, that's Bush League stuff. No, it's not. Since it's not... But since it was not even a one pitcher no hitter, like now all of a sudden I'm you know on the flip side of that because that's just ridiculous. Like you can't call it a no hitter if it was just a team effort. Like that's no one keeps track of. Like oh yeah, I was part of a team no hitter. Like no, <laughs> no one cares if it was a single individual effort. That's awesome. And don't get me wrong, like to to no hit a team is pretty impressive anyway. But. In baseball, no hitters, perfect games, stuff like that. No one tracks those when it's a multiple pitcher effort, and they shouldn't. So, I, I don't know. Like, I think that there's, I think that one of the things about baseball that is kind of entertaining is those unwritten rules. The one of the rules I could do without is, you know, if you kind of sit there and admire a home run, you're going to get tossed at. I don't like that either. Like, I think that that's a dumb rule. I think that you know, ultimately, if you win, you know, I mean, is a batter going to rush the mound after a strikeout if the pitcher's staring him down? No. Then I don't think it's that big a deal if, you know, Max Muncy wants to watch the home run fly for a minute. Because, to be honest, like, that's one of the things that's fun about being a baseball fan is watching home runs run. They shouldn't have to miss out on that either. But 
in this case, I mean, yeah, points for Max Muncy and, uh, you know, no points for the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, okay, those Yard Goats, uh, it's like, you know, they're angry about a team no-hitter being broken. Do that in the major leagues, man. You're a minor league team. Don't, you know, be angry about a minor league no- team no-hitter being broken. Come on. I mean, I, I mean, it's I just more think the team no-hitter piece versus the major or minor leagues. Like, that part, I think, is immaterial. You get invested in the game that you're at. Like, I mean, shoot, I'm sure that if there was a kid out there, you know, if that was able to, in youth baseball, pull off a no-hitter, like, that's a pretty cool deal, too. Um, so I don't think the level matters because no-hitters are so stinking hard to come by. But the fact that it's a team no-hitter, that's just the dumbest thing I have heard in a long time. It is time for our hot take of the week. What is a hot take? A hot take is basically when you have an opinion that goes against conventional wisdom. You might get criticized for it by your peers, but that's the point of a hot take. And maybe you can convince them that it is an opinion that they should agree with as well. Generally, it is against the grain. That's what a hot take usually is. It's not that you hate traffic or that you hate paying your bills. Those are not hot takes. A hot take would be that you love sitting in traffic going south on I-35. You love paying those bills. You love paying so much money for parking at Arrowhead or paying for overpriced cups of beer at Arrowhead Stadium. You love paying so much money for that kind of thing. Those are hot takes right there. Uh, you guys are always more than welcome to join us for the hot take segment. I did not reach out to you guys on social media, but we got a text that I'll get to in a moment. Here is my hot take for this week, and I'm going to keep this simple, and I'll be... I'll I'll tread lightly with this because I have talked about this a lot. I know in 2014 and 2015, everybody was excited about the Royals. People called it a baseball town. I disagreed, and I got killed for that opinion. Let me just say this because ever since the World Series happened, the Royals have gotten worse, and now that World Series hangover has pretty much vanished at this point. That World Series fever is gone. If you are one of those people that went around telling other people that they are bandwagon Royals fans, drop it because you are also a bandwagon Royals fan. Hot take. Here's the thing. Everybody got hooked in September of 2014. Maybe a little bit before that because they were in first place, first place or a little bit, excuse me. But, you know, for people to say, oh, you're a new money Royals fan, I was at a couple of the Red Sox-Royals games. I'll tell you what, Red Sox fans outnumbered Royals fans in those uh, two uh, night games. Now, the day game they had on a Thursday, I believe. I don't know what attendance looked like. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But Red Sox fans completely outnumbered Royals fans. Every time the Red Sox made a play, I mean, I heard cheering. It was odd to hear cheering. At Kauffman Stadium, because we weren't used to that, uh, for, for the opposing team at least, for the longest time. Or, I shouldn't say longest time, maybe just a couple of years. So, listen, at the end of the day, you know, for people who want to say that they are longtime Royals fans, they were Royals fans before 2014, shut up, no you weren't. Uh, I've seen the attendance, it is pretty ugly, even on a Friday night where they have fireworks and dollar, you know, Pepsi or whatever it is they have on their buck nights. Uh, nobody was a New Money Royal, or everybody was a New Money Royals fan. No one was not before that. And at the end of the day, if you're one of those people criticizing others for becoming a Royals fan when they got great right before the wild card game, you're just as guilty. So I say, 
Stop criticizing other people and look at the attendance numbers. Now, I can only name one or two people who I know who are hardcore Royals fans and probably watched every game before 2014. Zach, I don't know about you, but I only know a couple of people who are big-time Royals fans. So, I don't think there are a lot of diehard Royals fans that existed before 2014. A lot of people did exist Uh, Diehard Royals fans, that is, did exist during those two years, but after that, it quickly died down. So if you're one of those people, just drop it. I mean, watching every game, yeah, that's... I don't know anybody that's pulled that off. Um, But by the same token, I consider myself one of those quote-unquote old-money Royals fans. Like, I remember those days, you know, like, we had season tickets when I was a kid, like partial season, uh, in 2004, which was right after, like, that one flash in the pan uh, that we had back in 2003 where we were actually contending, like, you know, past the All-Star break. Um, but, you know, just, I remember growing up, going to all those games. I think, like, uh, out of the 20 games that we had, I think maybe we saw, like, three wins. Um, and, you know, we still had fun, you know, watching these, you know, just kind of ragtag group of, you know, in a lot of cases, nobody's playing. I mean, I remember rooting for Emil Brown. That's oh, a God. name I'm sure you haven't heard in a long time for solid reason. But, you know, I remember rooting for him and John Buck and, you know, Mark Grudzelonic the one year he was with us. Um, and so the difference is is that, you know, you can, sure, you can be an old Mighty Royals fan, but you won't hear me criticizing out, you know, any of the new people. It's like, hey, neat. now there's other people in the uh, stands with us. I mean, now, unfortunately, I can't get $5 high V seats, but hey. I'd rather have a winning team than have the $5 high V seats any day of the week. We'll get to your hot take real quickly, Zach. Uh, we got a text uh, for the hot take of the week. Uh, Dave from North Carolina in the 714 says, Hot take, 72 Dolphins will be shaking in their boots all year. Chiefs will dramatically have their defense improved and go undefeated. Uh, I mean, look, in their five losses, including the playoff one, they were never blown out. It was never – all of their losses were one-possession games, so – you know, maybe improvement shows otherwise, but I, I i mean, I don't think they go undefeated. No way. And that's why it's a hot take. It's only happened once. No, it never happened in a 19-game format, but maybe it happens this year, uh, according to Dave and NC. I mean, that's a that's a rock-solid hot take. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I like those kind of hot takes where it's like, it is absolutely, you know, way out of the realm of conventional wisdom because, again, it's only happened once, but... It's also not completely out of the question either. I mean, it could happen. I don't think it will, but I like it. I like that. It's a good hot take. Good job, Dave. What is the theme of your hot take before you get into Uh, it? It's another football-centered one. Okay, go ahead. So I think that, you know, for all of the noise that they got after the draft, you know, with the Giants drafting Daniel Jones— I think that they're going to have their quarterback competition, and Daniel Jones is going to beat out Eli Manning. Hot. I was actually just listening uh, to SiriusXM earlier on Wednesday. They were talking a lot about this. Uh, a lot of people think they're going to follow the KC format, but it, it, it's been talked about quite a lot. Okay, you think Daniel Jones starts right away. Uh, go ahead, defend yourself. So my rationale for this isn't necessarily that Daniel Jones wins the spot, so much as Eli Manning just has regressed to the point where he loses the spot. And that's a bummer to say, because I think Eli Manning is certainly a, uh, I mean, he's in the discussion for a Hall of Fame bid. I think that, you know, his playoff record is incredible. His 
the rest of the time record is you know very limited but i think that you know at this point he's just kind of starting to break down and the decision making is starting to be questionable and ultimately he also doesn't have anybody to throw to or anybody to block for him and you know i think that he's just not going to be the right guy to give them even a chance in most games just because again age is starting to catch up with him i think he's going to serve as kind of you know the it'll be like when Trent green was on the sidelines for damon hewitt though without you know damon hewitt was obviously never the game plan for the future he just had one good season yeah but he had that one good season with Trent green in his ear uh you know kind of giving him the you know tips and tricks here and there and so I think that you could see something like that take place out in New York this year. We'll see if I'm right, but yeah, hot take indeed. It's kind of surprising just seeing how Eli Manning's career has gone by uh, number one overall pick, up and down career, and then almost looked like he was leaving. Then he beats the Patriots during their almost perfect season, and then he beats the Patriots again in the Super Bowl. And at one point, he had more rings than his brother Peyton, which was crazy, but now he's about to get beat up by a guy who does the Patriot Slayer. Well, he's about to get beat out by a guy who looks almost like him, which is kind of weird in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I like that. That was pretty good. If you guys want to get involved, 913-808-2119. I did not reach out on social media for your hot takes, but uh, you guys are always welcome to just send those right away. Anyway, uh, just tweet us or send us a Facebook post or text us either way. You guys are always more than welcome to do that. Real quick note about the uh, podcast for uh, upcoming weeks. We will do an episode on June the 20th. That is a Thursday. And then we will do an episode on July the 1st. That is a Monday. And then with the holidays taking place for uh, 4th of July week, Zach and I, were both going to be out doing our thing. So we'll do a, an episode on July the 1st. And then after that, we might go dark for about a week and a half just to give you guys an idea uh, but that's what's going to be coming up in the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Real quickly, before we wrap up, uh, Zach, I know you wanted to talk about this real quickly. David Ortiz, uh, I mean, just a really, really sad turn of events, a really shocking story, uh, what happened to him at the Dominican Republic. Uh, we know about this a little bit in Kansas City uh, with Yordano Ventura and, and what happened in his car accident and just the safety and, and, and some of the things that people get concerned about. Uh, when I say people, I'm talking general managers uh, when their players go back to the Dominican Republic. Some of them have family and friends there. That's why they go back. Uh, David Ortiz, I mean, this guy was a big fan favorite of Boston and a big baseball uh, fan favorite for even non-Red Sox fans. Uh, just a really scary story to hear. I believe the latest I heard, he's had his second surgery and he's making progress, which is good to hear. But, man, that is a very, very scary situation uh, to go through, nonetheless. Absolutely. And just, you know, prayers for Big Poppy. Um, glad that he survived that incident. Um, and just, I mean, an absolute shame with the way that that all went down, but it's a testament to how big a deal David Ortiz is, um, I mean, especially in, you know, his home country of the Dominican Republic, that the guy who shot him got, you know, absolutely obliterated, uh, by just the general populace there who, you know, basically roughed him up and detained him for police, um, and... You know, not that that makes any of it right. It obviously doesn't. But it's good to see that you know, good deal still sometimes wins out in that regard. And glad to see that Poppy's okay. And uh, you know, he'll continue to recover because he's Boston strong, man. 
Yeah, no, no, that's um, that's good to hear for sure. I, I had not seen the video. I know you have, uh, but I mean, boy, that uh, it, that's good to see that people like quickly people quickly yeah. came to his defense. Absolutely, and and then some. Uh, yeah, like it's it's on par with you know some of the worst MMA beatings I've seen, except for the fact that you know there's no octagon or refs or you know gloves. It's it's a pretty it's a brutal beatdown. So I just know that if you plan to go looking for it. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. I am Farzim Vasugian. He is Zach Stegna. Talk to us on social media. Follow us. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzim Vasugian, at Farzim21 on Twitter. He is at Z Stegna. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. And again, uh, appreciate all of you guys who text it in. You can leave a voicemail or text in. Let's keep that going. Again, 913-808-2119, 913-808-2119. We will be back next week. We'll talk about Chiefs mandatory minicamp wrapping up and what to expect at this point forward with the Chris Jones situation ahead of us and what to expect from the Chiefs going into training camp. Maybe we'll have a Tyreek Hill update once again. We'll talk about all of that next week that'll be on thursday and then we'll do one more episode on july the first that is a monday thanks again for downloading and listening to this episode i'm farzim sugan he's zach second we will talk to you next week take care